Welcome to the Empathy Cocktail Podcast, the party with little to no boundaries. Designed to start a discussion from social topics dealing with serious issues, the bartending do's and don'ts, supporting small businesses and people, and everything else in between. We're providing perspectives and expanding empathy. I'm Elise. And I'm Courtney. I'm Shaken. And I'm Porin. And this is the Empathy Cocktail. Some of our listeners don't know this is a very special guest for us. So um, Stephen is an author of his memoir, How I Took a Bartending Course and Traveled the World for 17 Years. There you go, right there. Uh, what a beautiful cover. What an awesome title. That title yeah. alone will really just draw you in because it's the traveling for 17 years for me. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I do it all over again. That's that's so cool. So just to kind of just jump in, um, for for me, one of can you give our listeners just like a little bit about yourself, just a, a gist? Okay. Well, I was born in, uh, I grew up in Montreal, uh, Montreal, Canada, and uh, I went through high school and all that there, and uh, I was uh, looking for work. Uh, graduated high school back in 1976, so I'm an old timer, and uh, I started bartending way back when we're before shooters. So anyway, uh, I was looking for a job and uh, I had many jobs because I only had high school. And uh, back then you could get a job pretty much out of high school. So you could have the pick of the bunch. And I was doing this warehouse job driving truck and stuff. And uh, I saw in the in the paper, there was a bartending course uh, one day a week for, that was like three hours, every Thursday for four weeks. And uh, I said, well, geez, I'm, I was... I was 20 years old. I said, hey, this looks like fun. Good chance to meet some women, have some drinks. <laughs> it was at McGill University. So I thought, well, geez, I've never been to university. So here's my chance. And so I took the course and uh, I stumbled and bumbled all the way through it after and got some jobs. And then the uh, traveling thing sort of kicked in because I just wanted to do something. I wanted, you know, I wanted to travel. I, I traveled to Europe when I was 18 you know, for 45 days, and it sort of opened up my eyes to other things. And so I uh, I got jobs in discotheques and all sorts of stuff before I traveled, get some experience. And I remember working in 1981 in a discotheque, you know, and I'm rambling here a little bit because I keep talking, but you just interject me anytime, uh, interrupt me anytime. But, you know, I was working in a disco, having fun, single, you know, so for not you- a care in the world. So for you, I'm going to interject. So for you, um, when you first got into the service injury, and this is kind of part of your book, when you yeah. when you first got into what was what were some of the biggest things that drew you to it, and and why it became such a passion for you? Okay, for me personally, I was always a very quiet person. I wasn't very a sociable person. Like I wasn't like a. I mean, I liked to party, but you know, it was always like, well, you know, I was sort of laid back. I wasn't. I wanted to meet people. And I found out the easiest way to meet people is by being working in the service industry. And when I took this bartending course, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, it educated me in so many ways about how people are, you know, how people react and, you know, their, their stories. And obviously, uh, you know, it was just, it was just uh, the reason why I guess I was attracted to that industry is because it was another part of me that, it was creative. It was artistic. And uh, 
I was flexible. I could go anywhere I wanted bartend. That was the number one thing, I think. I didn't want to be strapped to a job, you know, like my dad was 40 years. And, you know, I wanted to be free. I grew up in the 70s and, you know, it was all about go, going out and finding your own way. And people were hitchhiking everywhere and doing different things then. And I just wanted to be a part of that. And bartending let me express that in that way. I like how in the book you also mentioned that in addition to those things, you also like drinking. Oh, what yeah. Oh, geez. I was like, oh, that's a great reason to be a bartender. And reading your book and and just reading about all your stories, how you'd like drink at work and like oh. rules. And it just like reminded me of like what I used to do as some of my jobs, like in the first week or so, maybe the first month when you get there and you're just like, getting used to things and then eventually like feeling that peer pressure from like other bartenders and servers to like take a shot, have a drink. And then next thing you know, you're just coming to work for a few cocktails. Well, the thing was, uh, yeah. And you know, back in the seventies and I'm dating myself here, like I said, but when I started like late seventies, early eighties, they didn't have the tight controls that they do now when you work as a bartender. Mm. like there's places I've worked where you I've I literally worked I worked at the cake for seven years I never took a drink while I was there I mean because you know first of all I was waiter but I was you know things are strict there you know like the people watch but back in those days when I worked in the hotel see a lot of hotels don't have bars anymore and they used to back in the day because of discos and everything else so after the closing we literally opened up the bar to ourselves that you is know, it would be like it would be, be right? like it would be like drinks and drinks, and and then you go hand in the cash two hours later, and the auditor would be waiting for yours last of all because he would have finished every everyone else's, and then um, during work, it was just it, it was. But nowadays margins are very much tighter. You're not working in a big environment. It's usually just a bar and restaurant. But in those days, they had the rooms and everything else adding into the revenue. And the bar was looked at as a as a profit center, mainly mm-hmm. as a place where people would go and stay in the hotel and spend their money. And uh, in those days, there was no control at all. It was incredible. Uh, you know, like, no, you know, you'd have a beer during work, no problem, or a, a drink going. And, you know, working in the discotheque, you were just part of, part of the dance floor, really. I mean, I used to dance behind the bar. You know, it was just hilarious. You know, those those days were fun. But things got a little bit tight as the economy sort of tightened and everything else. And everything else tightened too, like drinking. Those three-hour, those three-hour <laughs> martini lunches just disappeared. So fast forward to now, are you still in the service industry, or did you retire? Well, or? I'm actually on disability. Disability. I got cancer, yeah. but uh, it's a funny sort of cancer. It's uh, and and right now I'm actually feeling better than I have in the last six, seven years. Wow, it seems to be, uh, yeah, I feel great. It's, uh, awesome. you know, it's one of those things where my white blood cells have a T cell fighter that fights my hemoglobin and, you know, then I go down, my tr- hemoglobin goes down, but right now it's way up. I'm taking this steroid and, you know, full of energy. <laughs> That's great news. And Steven, you look great. You yeah, do? I feel great. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. So were you were you in the service industry up until you, 30, you got on this? 38 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, started in 1979 and uh, right till 
four years ago. So I'm 61. So, I mean, for me, uh, my takeaway from the book was just how relatable it was. Mm -hmm. And so it's like I was taking this journey with you for every stop that you made. I had more questions for every like bar that you worked at. Um, I, I was like, wait, what, what was it like working there on a cruise ship? Um, one of my questions, what, what is it that made that first cru- cruise ship gig so deplorable? I remember you talk about, you yeah. were like on the cruise for like, yeah. was it seven weeks? It was supposed to be 10 months. Oh. Yeah. And, and you met someone that, that got on the boat and within four days was like, I'm out. So yeah. like, that would have been me. That would have been me. <laughs> what was so bad about it? <laughs> well, no, I'll tell you what. You know, at the time, and I mentioned in the book there, Love Boat was big. And the show Love Boat. And uh, the cruise ships. And, you know, it was great, mm-hmm. you know, uh, greeting them, all the girls and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, I was working as bar manager in the University Club of Montreal all the time. And I'd just done a, a course on hotel, motel, restaurant management. It's a home study course. And uh, I said, you know, this love boat thing sounds fun. I'm going to apply to the cruise ships in Miami. And so it's very easy to do. In fact, it's easier now than it's ever been. You just go on the Internet. Mm-hmm. But back then there was no Internet. So I go to the travel agency and get their travel book, take all the addresses down of the cruise ships, cruise lines in Miami, and then send my resume away. Well, I got a call in a couple of weeks and you know, can you come down? It was the SS Norway. It was the biggest ship, cruise ship in the world at the time. It was like, uh, what was it? 2,000 passengers or 2,500 passengers. So the, the thing that didn't work out for me there was the fact that the living conditions were so poor. I mean, okay, you were bunked four to a room, which was fine, but the food was, the staff food was like, you know, it was bad. Family meal? <laughs> well, yeah. you know what? I wasn't used to the food. There was It was a different nationality that was cooking the meal. Uh-huh. So the food was all different for me. Mm-hmm. And plus, uh, it was just a, and the work. You know, you'd be working like oh, 14, 15 hours a day. That's insane. You know, you'd get up, do the requisition in the morning, then you work at another bar at lunch on the Lido deck. And then you work your regular bar in the, on the evening shift. And then after that, sometimes you had other things to do. And then you go, go to bed and wake up four hours later. And, you know, I lost a lot of weight. And I was worried about that because, you know, at the time, AIDS was around. It was just you starting. You could get it from kissing yeah, somebody. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. You thought by kissing somebody, you'd, you'd get AIDS. <laughs> you know, I was really. So after 10, 10 weeks, I think it was, or eight weeks, I said, this is 10 months. You know, this is, I'm going to be like a paper thin. I'm going to be like a pencil when I leave. I'm so I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go home. And yeah. I did. And uh, I spent a week or two in Fort Lauderdale. And then I went home and uh, I thought about what next am I going to do? And I sort of, him and Hod, and I went and took a French course, which led, which led me to other things, which was even better. Your story, I, I absolutely love just following you from place to place. And yeah. I feel like it was almost um, inspiring in some ways because you have a lot of bartenders who go into the industry not knowing what's next for them. A lot of bartenders, I feel like, have that same mindset. Like, I want something exciting. I want where I can make money, have a good time, meet people. Yeah. And I mean, so I have just one, like, one question that really that stuck with me throughout the entire book. 
I know your parents separated at a young age, but how was your relationship with them when you continued bartending? Like, how did they feel about your career choice at the time? Well, they were fine with it. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, okay, they, I wasn't going to be a scientist. They knew that or anything like that. So, you know, as long as I was happy, I guess they were happy, even though if they didn't understand it, which is the best a parent could be, really. That's you know, good. You know, like, I mean, they didn't hassle me or anything. They kind of probably envied me a little bit for all the traveling I was doing and all that. And uh, I was having fun. I guess they wondered when I was going to settle down more than anything. You know, I was 37 when I finally got married. So, Do you think in the early stages of your career, because you mentioned uh, dropping out of school, but you sort of talk about it after talking about your parents splitting up. Do you think that that sort of um, had an impact on some of your decisions at the time, like early on? I think so. I think uh, that probably had an effect uh, uh, subliminally, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to stay home in a bad situation, really. And it was sort of like, it wasn't that bad a situation. But see, what happened was, well, it was kind of confusing. They moved to Ontario. I moved with them. And then then they moved back to Montreal, and I decided to stay in Ontario. And then I decided, well, I'm going to go back to Montreal because that's where I grew up. I stayed with them and then uh, I was trying to save some money and then they split up and I thought, well, you know what, like, you know, I'll just, you know, I won't hang around. I'll just go on my own again. And so that's where I, that was eventually what led me to the bartending course, which was kind of fluky because I happened to look at the paper that night, you know, it was just, uh, you know, you know, life is full of thin threads, mm-hmm. you know, like, you don't know, like, sometimes you see something and then, and it's just that one time, but it could make you go in a totally different direction than you thought Absolutely. of. Absolutely. Every little decision, I think, definitely impacts the next decision and the next day and the next minute, which is why I think we have to be really intentional. Yeah. Try to do things. Yeah. And I think you got to be looking for change too. Mm. You know, if your mind's not open to, you know, Uh, changing or changing your situation or making it better or whatever, then, you know, it's always going to be the same. Yeah. I have to agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. I also loved uh, speaking off of that. I love that part in the book that I won't give too much away, but um, it's exactly what you're saying, how you either going to go cherry picking or you're going to go into town. And I ended up in town and it was a small little decision and it just led you into these other Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, be, yeah, yeah, that was really something that was fluky. I, I didn't I, want to cherry. I didn't want to cherry pick for sure. <laughs> I've never even heard of cherry picking like blueberries. Okay, raspberries. I've never heard of cherry picking. Yeah, southern BC. They're usually out in June. Oh, they, yeah, they come out before the strawberries and stuff. That would have been brutal. Oh, yeah. I can I can only imagine. I mean, it, where I'm from, they they uh, my parents had to like detassel corn, and because I'm from yeah. Iowa, and so they had to like detassel corn, and they said it was like the most brutal thing, especially because they had to do it in the summer. So I po- I probably would have been the only Canadian working there because you know <laughs> usually immigrant workers, right? That do that. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Even what was your favorite place to uh, to visit to go to to work in? I've been to a lot of cruise cruise uh, destinations many times over i would have to say you know santorini greece was nice mm-hmm. 
been there so many times. It was there like 30 times. Monte Carlo was another one. You know, when the Monte Carlo, when the ship, see, on the, on the next time I was on the ships in the 90s, you know, we'd, uh, and it was a beautiful ship. It's 114 passengers only. So it was not a big ship. It was like fine dining, fine everything. It was like five-star service, everything. So it was really, really uh, open sitting in the dining room and everything. So you made a rapport with the guests as well. And Monte Carlo, the ship was small. It was only, it was less than 10,000 gross tons. And then it docked right into, right in the harbor, right in the city there. And then you go up and you go down the landing and you go up the elevator and you're right in Monte Carlo. Right that in the beautiful. Yeah. And there was, of course, we did Asia as well. Different places like Indian, you know, countries, Mumbai, just mm-hmm. Bombay back then. And then Malaysia and all these places, just fantastic. You know, just walking around, seeing how people interact and how people live. You learn to appreciate home more when you come back. That's so true. I have to agree. I, I love travel for that exact reason. And of course, in Europe, what happened in Europe was a lot of the cruise, crew members that I worked with lived in Europe. So I would go and visit them after my contract somewhere in Europe, wherever they were, like in Paris or, you know, uh, Sweden or Germany or France or, you know, Italy, Austria, all over the place. Yes, yes. Those friends you would visit, some of them were ladies. And one thing that I thought was so funny is like so many times you talk about um, how you you meet this girl and she's married, but like, I want to just say hello or like this girl. And so I have a quote from you and I thought it was great. Um, It says, I didn't care if she was in love with him or not. I was going to wing it and see what would happen. Can you explain? Well, you know what? Uh, and the theme of that in this book. I think well, it's great. Yeah, you know, I just <laughs> yeah. You know, my, my thing was, uh, you know, I always, I always fall for someone who just wanted to be my friend. And, uh, you know, I always had that problem. And, uh, you know, it always got a little bit more serious for me than it was for them. Because mm. they had some, you know, they were interested maybe in someone else or something, but they were always interested. Like this particular girl, if I sent her a letter, you know, in like one day or two days, I'd have a, a, a response. You know, it was like, it wouldn't, you wouldn't wait two or three weeks. So, you know, I was sort of led to believe that perhaps, well, you know, maybe there's more to it than what I think or what, you know. And so I always carried on this, like, mindset of like uh you know they'll eventually fall in love with me which they never did uh they liked me a lot but they never you know and finally the one i met who i'm still with after next year will be 25 years wow congratulations yeah yeah congrats that's awesome yeah thanks well you know by reading the book i would have been an honest guy anyway and you know only the best for me you know the, the best absolutely <laughs> don't settle that's yeah. right you know that's what a lot of people do you by want the way. someone that wants you back for sure yeah for sure. and that's the th- and that's the thing you know like uh in relationships nowadays no matter what you know you aim high and uh you know yeah. you stay true to your true to yourself and you don't people go into relationships trying to change the other one 
which is a mistake because That's that right. never works. No. So, uh, but anyway, back to your back to your question. Yeah. So, I guess what I meant by that was, uh, you know what? Like, it's time to do time to move on or 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 move forward or put an end to it. You know, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> the whole, you know, that's that's basically what it is. That's always been my way. If you know, and then it, you know, it would take some time to a week or two to get over. Then I'd be okay. Then I, you know, make friends with somebody else or something. What you, you got to do? It, yeah, that's it. You know, like you can't you can't wallow over things that aren't going to happen. And I feel like just talking to you, I feel like your experience with bartending has like just furthered you as a person as well. I feel like like uh, one of our episodes about how a bartender equals becoming a better person. Yeah. Do you, you agree with that statement? Absolutely. You know, you see the people at their best or at their worst. That you know, is a really good point. Yeah. You could always Absolutely. you could always tell if a couple's had a fight before they come in to eat. Yeah. Because because what'll happen is they'll sit down and you'll go to the table, like if I was a waiter or a bartender, and uh you'd ask for their order and you know they were a little bit, you know, and the husband would go, Well what do you want, dear? And then they you know, the, she would say, well, what do you want? And it'd be like, you know, they'd be trying to make up through the meal. Yeah. But then the thing, the thing that would reunite them the most would, they would find something together that they would agree on to complain about the service or the meal. Uh, that would unite yeah, them. They'd say, oh, that's that gem right there. Yeah, that, <laughs> that tomato is too cold, you know, or something stupid. You know, or the steak is too cold. I can see that because misery loves company. So yeah, it's like their way of like putting whatever they're going through onto the waiter. And I was just telling Courtney this uh, the other day at her job. Yeah. Um, and we were talking to the bartender there. And um, she like wears this bracelet. That's like a protection yeah. bracelet with crystals. Okay. And like that's her protection from like the, the negative energy because when you deal with people, customers like this in particular, I think it's really important to really separate yourself from it because if not, like oh, yeah. emotions will easily seep into the rest of your shift and then follow you home. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's the number one thing if you're in this industry is that it's water off a duck's back. Yeah. You know, you go in, you're a different person, you leave and Your you're the person you came to work as. Right. But you leave it all at work. And you don't know, this is what I always said too, you don't know what that person's been through that day. That's so a really good it, call. It's far, yeah. from me, far from me to judge how they act when the most embarrassing thing would be like, well, and, you t and they tell you, well, my dad died today or something like that. And you're left like, oh my God, you know, like what an, what an idiot I am thinking of them like that or saying something. You know, you never know where people are, where they are when they come into that where you're working that day. So right. I always try to stay as neutral as possible and let them, you know, let them talk, you know, like, you know, stay out, stay out of all the personal stuff. Keep it real, make them smile. That's it. Yeah. That's a really good philosophy to stand on, especially with bartending. And so I, I have one question that I just would love to hear. Yeah. Um, what are what were some of your biggest pet peeves and some stereotypes for back in the day? Like for us, for example, like um, Hen Hennessy drinkers, which is a cognac. Hennessy uh, and Coke. Yeah, and then you wouldn't get tipped. Like nine times out of ten, you're not tipped, like at all. So what do you think <laughs> of those, like any of those stories or anything like that? 
Well, you know, working in the disco, I'll tell you what I used to do. I think I mentioned the book. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I, you know, but in the disco, in those days, you know, everybody was like 18, 19, 20. They'd go to the disco. They'd be dancing. And, you know, they come in, they order a beer. And they'd sit on that beer for five hours. I've seen it. And then, and and all the time, and what I used to do, they used, okay. the, used, <laughs> used to come off the dance floor and they'd ask for water because they were thirsty because they finished their beer. And then <laughs> what I used to do is, because I knew them well anyway, I used to come every weekend. I used to pour them war, warm water and then, <laughs> and then they taste, oh, come on, Steve, come on, give me, take it cold, will you? I said, why don't you order something? <laughs> You know, Add and then, you know, they, I give them the water. It didn't matter anyway. You know, who cares? You know, like, you know, that's the thing was the, there was a lot of pet peeves, but I think the experience of having traveled and gone through a lot of stuff on my own, like sometimes, you know, we make a big deal of these things. Like if somebody's going to act stupid or something, like, I don't know. I just, I just, I just let, I just let it go. You know, like at yeah. the time it was kind of dumb, like mm-hmm. that water thing or or somebody would like leave you nothing. But then I'd always say, well, you know, and I'd always be sarcastic about it because that's one of my fortes is being so sarcastic because you have to have. It's some a must sarcastic. for bartending. You that's need right. a sarcastic personality. <laughs> yeah, you have to have that. That's your, that's your, you that's your shield of armor. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. So, you can't you know, take it too seriously. So if I got if I got uh, uh, if I if I got stiffed or somebody left me like two percent or something I'd go I'd go to the next person and say whoa look at that look at what that person left me you know and I you know great Shame but them. then but then it all but then I understand it all evens out because the next person will tip you twenty percent mm-hmm. and the next person will tip you fifteen percent so you never look at one particular because if you look at one particular person or table or whatever, or wherever you're serving a drink to, and you and that ruins your night, then your whole night will be ruined. Absolutely. You got to just forget about it. Or focus on the positive. Yeah. You, you know, like, okay, that person comes in, you know they're not going to leave a tip. Like, yeah. like people from different countries aren't used to leaving a tip. So you already know. You sort of say, oh, geez, you know, here we go. You know, you're, you're serving them, but you know, in the back of your head, you're getting 5%, you know, or they don't tip at all. They're from Europe somewhere. They don't tip at all. They don't know, you know, or nobody told them when they crossed the border, but uh, you know, and you, and you, you get the same service though. That's yeah. the whole thing. That's the whole key to being a bartender. I think is the fact that I always gave equal service to everybody. That's how it and should that's, be. That's the number one thing. A lot of people who are bartending, they they see their best customer walk in, and that's all they are. That's all where they are the whole night. Which is you know, and, and you're wondering, you're holding up your hand, wondering if you want to. Yeah, I need another beer, or I want another beer. And the guy's kind of nodding at you, kind of like, yeah, okay, you know. And it's like nobody. That's not the way to do it because yeah. you know everybody's equal. Everybody gets the same service. Everybody, you know. And then at the end of the night. You make okay. You you do okay at the end of the night. Yeah, I think it's always better to just be a good person, kill him with kindness. Like, yeah. And Courtney has a background in acting, which I think is also an oh, excellent yeah. skill for bartending service yeah. industry because you can just 
just treat it like it, treat it like a, like a drama, like uh, just be an actor, you know, fine. This person wants to send their food back. Okay. No worries. You know, this person wants to like have an attitude. Okay. You know, just keep smiling through it. That's it. Keep and smiling. And you leave, you feel better. And maybe that affects your tips. Maybe like the person that you, that, that leaves you a dollar will now leave you $2, you know, just I, because you were killing them with, with kindness and then going above and beyond to be like extra nice. And you made, the, you made them forget what they went through maybe that day. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. You know? And also too, what I think going off of that though, I think there comes a point where you have to stop the killness of kindness to a certain degree, because I feel like a lot of bartenders put up with unnecessary abuse as I've been going through it. Like I, I mm-hmm. was, a, I still am a firm believer of kill, kill them with kindness yeah. 90% of the time. But there is now that 10% of me that if somebody does disrespect me, and does and it's doing it blatantly when i've been nice and polite the whole time i will shoot something back and and i then i'll level with them and be like all right just because i'm your bartender doesn't mean i'm lesser than you and you have every right to and i think as well i you know you're a woman and you get it you would you would get it more than i would obviously from the the guys because the guys go to the bar (laughs) yeah and no i understand what you're saying totally i just you know i never you know i kind of wish that women would approach me like they probably approach you men approach you but <laughs> yeah. being a bartender but being a male but for me yeah and and another thing is too is that uh when it comes to when you're you know feeling a little uneasy with a customer uh best to tell the boss the manager and have them put a fire out then yeah. you get involved Oh yeah, that's about nine times. If it gets to that point, yeah, I, I I get a manager. Oh, yeah. because I'm not paid enough to because yeah, there's other people around the bar and everything else you got to serve. You don't need yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. If someone's being ridiculous, I either yeah. just really push their check and try to get them out, or I get a manager. I'm like, get this guy out of yeah. here. Like, yeah, done, done, yeah. done. I've got nicer people to serve, and I'm having too much fun. Like, that's it. That's know? the way to do it. That's the way. God, you see that's what that's what they're paid for. Yeah, exactly. God, it's been so nice chatting with you. And I feel like our listeners are really, I mean, your book is phenomenal, but you as a person too are just as phenomenal. Like We should do this again. I, I feel like I just started. Uh, yeah, yeah, we we, we, we have we have so much more to, to talk about. I have so many more questions on like specific locations like Jamaica yeah, yeah. where you go to when you go to heathenism and like oh yeah yeah you, because so really quickly like when I was in Jamaica and I passed heathenism like people were talking about it being like a swingers resort oh yeah yeah oh yeah so, I was one of, <laughs> I think around 1985 I went there yeah and it was uh it was just starting out those super clubs in Jamaica at that time uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I was amazed. You know, it was it was really wow. It was yeah. You don't go there with somebody else. You go there when you're single. <laughs> oh yeah, that's for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, they've opened couples and all that since then as well. So yeah, um, we're definitely looking forward to doing this again and, and yeah, let, diving deep into some more of your of your experiences, getting more detailed. Yeah, we're definitely going to do a part two. Okay, you let me know. So much. Okay, thank you. Uh, Stephen, real quick question. Where can our listeners find your book? Uh, I sent the link. Uh, It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Okay, so it's on Amazon, and it's how I took a bartending course and traveled for 17 years by Stephen Nicole. Thank you so much, Stephen. 
Okay, maybe I could send you the link. I'll send you the link again. We we got the link. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna include it in our Instagram and Perfect. in our Facebook and and stuff like that. So our listeners and followers will be in the loop. All right, Bye. you let me know what let me know when it's aired, and I'll uh, I'll let me know too when you want me back. Absolutely, absolutely. Love and the show. Oh, yes, have thank a great you so much. Stay safe. Thanks, yeah, you too.